This morning's scripture is from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Hear the word of the Lord. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Again, I'm Heath McLawan. If uh, you're wandering in late and wondering who this person up here is, uh, I'm the RUF campus minister at UNC Charlotte. And thanks for having me. I'm glad to get to be here. Um, And it's always fun to get to preach at a new church. And this might be the most people I've ever preached to at one time before as well. So no pressure. Um, My joke earlier didn't work. All right, uh, you guys have been going through a series called When Jesus Says Amen. And depending upon your translation, this could be translated as truly, maybe truly, truly. Start getting really old, verily, uh, assuredly. And unlike how we use the word amen to end our prayers, Jesus often used the word amen at the front of a saying, And it was really basically a way to add emphasis and a way to kind of say, pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. This is important. So we're going to turn our attention to the amen statement in Matthew 25 this morning. Would you all pray with me first? Great God, we come to you and ask that you would be with us now that this is much a time of worship as is singing or prayer or reading your word. Would you help us continue to worship you in hearing your word preached? Holy Spirit, would you come descend upon this place? 
Would you open ears and hearts and minds to the goodness and the grace that is found in your word? We pray that you would be glorified during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you guys ever had one of those oh no moments? Like, I didn't know. Like, you said something inappropriate to somebody really important, but you didn't know who they were. Or you realized you did something kind of stupid, and you didn't know who was watching. I had one of those moments, I probably had a lot, but one in particular when I was in high school. I went to a private high school called Macaulay, and we had this huge rivalry with the other private school in town. And the yearly football game would draw about fifteen to 20,000 people. It was both schools' alumni weekends. They were both very old schools. And my senior year, leading up to that week, I was driving an old forerunner. And this was the kind you could take the hard top off of and kind of had like the roll top bar. And what I did, I took the top off and I painted these two big flags and hung them out the back of this forerunner and drove around all week like that. And the night before the game, the game was on Saturday, on Friday night there was a pep rally bonfire type thing. And after that, I'm taking my friend Jay home. And uh, as I'm driving him home, I'm driving down the road, and this is all Jay says, TV camera, go! He had seen a TV camera in a parking lot And so I immediately pull into the parking lot because he said to. And it's about 11 o'clock, 11.15, sometime around that, the nightly news. And as we pull into this parking lot, we realize that the lady is there and the camera lights are on. She's doing a live broadcast. So we get right behind her in my car with the Macaulay flags hanging out the back. And we start like laying on the horn and yelling about how great Macaulay is, and I'm sure probably about how bad the other school was. And then I drove my friend home, and then I went home. And so about 15 or 20 minutes later, I get home, and my mom calls me into my parents' bedroom. (sighs) Yeah. And she says, saw you on the news. <laughs> Great. Then she asked if I knew why, the, why they were there, and I did not. And she explained to me that the reporter was doing a live broadcast with updates on the case from the scene of a murder mere nights before. I had no idea why the crew was there. I had no idea that the crew was associated, that this reporter is associated with a murder investigation. If I had known that, I would like to think that my actions that night would have been radically different. The same thing is happening in our text this morning. There are these two groups of people, the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous, and both act in a certain way towards a very particular group. 
but no one knows what, or I guess better, who that group is associated with. If they had known the goats, the unrighteous claim, they would have acted differently. Our amen statement today shows us very clearly that Jesus Himself identifies with that group. The group that Jesus calls the least of these, my brothers and sisters. So that's what we're going to be looking at, how Jesus identifies with this group. So let's just dive in. We're going to have two points this morning, the context of the amen and the criteria of the amen. So first, the context. I had this teacher in seminary who always said, context is king. And as I was thinking about this sermon and how, what to do with it, as Rick said, it's kind of a hard text. Being a visitor, I almost felt like they gave me the tithing sermon that no one wanted, like none of the pastors wanted to preach. I'm like, hey, let's get that guy to do it. Um, so as I, as I was struggling with this, I thought about context and what does that look like? And so as I looked at this, beginning in chapter 24, Jesus begins this long passage where he is teaching his disciples about the final judgment to come. And we're at the end of that teaching here in our text today. And the first thing that I want us to see, both from context and in our passage, is that there is a judgment to come. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes, this is the second coming of Christ. Verse 32 says, before the Son of Man, all the nations are going to be gathered, they're going to be judged, and they're going to be separated based upon that judgment. Then we see the results of the judgment, both in verses 34 or in verses 34 and 35. Not 35, 41. Either inheriting the kingdom of God on the one hand, or eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I mean, eternal should clue us in. This is the judgment, the final judgment, the closing of all ages. One day. It is going to be too late. There are those that say they love Jesus and the God of the New Testament. He's just so loving and good. It's kind of like this big warm hug all the time. But they really don't like all the talk of judgment or the Old Testament and all the rules. I'm not sure they actually have read the Bible very much. Jesus spends an awful lot of time talking about how people will be judged. Right before our text began in 2530, Jesus says a worthless servant will be cast into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That term weeping and gnashing of teeth comes up a lot actually. And it's Jesus talking about hell and judgment. Whether we like it or not, The Bible and Jesus Himself is very clear. There is a judgment to come. So we see that in both our passage and in the context. But the second thing the context shows us is that this passage is really important. This is Jesus' last teaching in the book of Matthew before He's going to be betrayed tried, crucified, and resurrected. This is really the last thing Jesus says to His 12 disciples. 
And then we've got the amens or the truly on top of it. Like Jesus is all, like you send those emails that you don't want people to forget or just throw in the trash or get moved down the inbox. So in the subject, you put important in like giant bold letters so that everyone can't miss how good this is. That's what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's his last teaching, and he throws an amen on it. He wants people to understand what he is getting ready to say is crucial. It is vitally important. Pay attention. So there's this judgment to come, and Jesus has something really important to tell his disciples. But what is that thing? What is the one thing He wants us to get here? That's our second point. The criteria for the judgment. The Amen tells us exactly what Jesus wants to make sure the disciples and we get. And it shows up twice in verses 40 and 45. Just in case we missed it the first time. Verse 40. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Let's flesh this out a little bit. The nations, all people are going to, become, are going to come together and they will be judged. And they will be judged by how they treated, as Jesus says, the least of these, my brothers and sisters. And in particular how they were treated or how they treated that group with regard to six actions. And I know I've heard pastors here before mention this, but when something is repeated in the Bible, it usually means it's really important. In our text, we get this list of six actions repeated four different times. Giving food to the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming a stranger, giving clothes to the naked, visiting the sick, and visiting those in prison. The righteous, or the sheep in this, do these actions and are rewarded for them, while the wicked, or the goats, do not and are cast into eternal fire. And did you notice that it isn't just that they did or didn't do these things? Look closely at verse 40. As you did, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then look at verses 35 and 36, and he repeats it again. He says, I was thirsty. I was hungry. I was sick. Jesus is so closely identifying himself with my brothers that it is as if those actions done to them are actually being done to Jesus himself. I like the ESV translation a little better than the NIV. I think it brings it out better. It says, whatever you did, you did it to me. I can do a lot of stuff for Jane, my wife, but not to her. Jane is saying, whatever you did to the least of these is like it was done to him. So then the question becomes, who are the least of these, my brothers and sisters? And there is some debate, but the majority of scholars I looked at came down on the side of my brothers and sisters 
being God's people. Believers. Christians. And this, this comes up in several places, but Romans 8 in particular calls those who are Christians who believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins adopted sons of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ Himself. That makes us brothers and sisters to Jesus. This is amazing to think about when you stop. We can actually be adopted into God's family and become brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. What our text is telling us is that Jesus is so closely identified with His brothers and sisters that any actions done to them are actually being done to Jesus as well. And we see this other places as well. And maybe the most famous, Saul, before he becomes the Apostle Paul, is great at persecuting the church, new believers. And he's actually on his way to Damascus to arrest some more believers in Jesus. And then the resurrected and ascended Jesus shows up. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul is so confused by this. He says, who are you, Lord? And gets the response, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus has been resurrected. He has ascended into heaven. He is not being arrested by Paul or by Saul at this point. But Jesus so identifies with his people, with those who believe in him for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins, that any actions done to them, it's as if they are done to Jesus himself. And so the very last thing that Jesus teaches His disciples is in essence, take care of my brothers and sisters, especially the least of these, my brothers and sisters. The context, the presence of the amen itself, plaster a billboard the importance of this. This criteria, whether people have actually taken care of the brothers and sisters of Jesus, is the factor in our text for determining how they are judged. Two caveats before we move on. First, there are other places in the Bible where we are told to love and serve not just our fellow believers, to love and serve our enemies, our neighbors, those who would not claim Christ as their own. And think about the Good Samaritan. And the second caveat, this is not, our passage today is not all of the biblical teaching on judgment, on the final judgment. There's a lot of other stuff in the Bible about this. This is Jesus getting one point across about it. He's not giving the whole teaching. So don't take this and say, okay, all i got to do is be nice to Christians and I'm golden. That's not what Jesus is saying. He is making a particular point here, a very crucial point that he wants his people to get. But it is not all of the teaching. But here in Matthew 25, we get 
Amen, or truly I tell you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. And the applications for this are endless. We could do this for hours if I wanted to, and you would all hate me. First application. When we identify with Jesus, we are identifying with all of Jesus' brothers and sisters. We become part of the family. We've all got like that crazy relative that we try to pretend we don't have. We're identified with him. We're identified with the family of Jesus. And that means we identify with the well-to-do, the terribly poor, the attractive, the able, the disabled, those that dress and look like us, those that don't, those we like and those we'd rather not come in contact with. We're all part of the same family. This is an imperfect illustration, but bear with me. I love my daughter. I love her dearly. Yet, I hate glitter (laughs) with a burning, white-hot passion. It gets everywhere in our house. I found it on the back of our stove the other day. I was walking through the bathroom and saw it on a toilet seat. How does that get there? There are times I just think there's this glitter cloud that just kind of floats around our house and then descends upon people. I actually refer to it as devil's dust. I can't get it off. So if you ever see me with glitter anywhere on me, it's not because I'm trying to like accentuate my cheekbones. I'm not trying to call attention to myself in any way. Um, I hate glitter, but my daughter loves it. She wears clothes with glitter like in it. Sometimes like last week we're at Di- or two weeks ago, we we're at Disney and then she had glitter in her hair. Like arts and crafts, glitter is everywhere. And whether I like it or not, glitter is part of the package deal that comes with loving my daughter. Our first application is that the least of these, my brothers and sisters, are a package deal that comes with Jesus. Do we really realize that? Do we know people that would be the least of these, my brothers and sisters? I'm sure there are some of those people in this room. Do we really know and identify with them? Or do we know them just enough to see them and make sure we sit far enough away from them we don't have to deal with them? First application We are a part of the family of Jesus, and that includes everybody. Second, we are called, I think our text is clear, to take care of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Let me say this. This is one of the reasons Stonebridge, as a church, is so incredibly intentional about giving itself and its resources away. This is why a ton of money and time and man hours and trips go to India. 
This is why Stonebridge is partnered with places like Resurrection Brooklyn and ministries here in Charlotte. Stonebridge is involved in these things very intentionally. The question is, are we personally involved in them? Let's just go down the list of actions that was repeated four times in our text today and ask of ourselves. Giving food to the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty. Do we volunteer at food banks ever? Do we have a plan in place so that when we are sitting in our cars and we see that person on the corner with the sign begging for food, do we know what we're going to do and why we're going to do it? Have we actually thought about it? Even as I prepared for this sermon, I was convicted about my lack of thought and preparation for this. And so I started keeping a stash of granola bars in my car so that when I see that person, I can hand them out. And trust me, I am not saying I'm good at this. This is not like, hey, everybody, look at me. This started like a week ago. (laughs) Have we thought about it? Do we have a plan? Do we welcome the stranger? Have we ever invited someone into our home who was so different from us and would probably never return the invitation? That we're never going to get that dinner invite back in a few weeks to return the favor? Giving clothes to the naked. How much or how many extra and unused items of clothing do we have in our house? Visiting the sick, visiting those in prison. Full disclosure, I have never done either of these. Do we visit brothers and sisters in Christ right across the street? Is that the right direction? No, that way. Um, Who can't get out and make it to church? Do we visit those in prison? I've never done either of them. The application could be, you're not doing this. Now get to work. And this text could be used as a bat to just beat each of us up with guilt and shame and try to force us and guilt us into action. Are we giving food to the hungry? Just whack. Are we giving drink to the thirsty? Whack. Have we visited people? Whack. And we all know just how well guilt and shame work as a motivator. He said sarcastically. As we start to wrap up, why in the world would we do this? What can actually motivate us to love and identify with the least of these, my brothers? And sisters, and I think that's actually the answer to the to that issue. Why we are part of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. The Bible teaches us that we were born hostile, enemies to God, slaves to sin, and yet God loves us so much that He will not let His people remain alienated from Him. So He sends His Son, God Himself. Jesus Christ, to identify 
with his enemies who will kill him. In a way, we are sinfully the least of these, and Christ associates with us. He identifies so closely with us that He takes on flesh. He lives a perfect and righteous life and is unjustly convicted and crucified. We deserve death for our sin, but Christ died in our place. In Christ, there is forgiveness. Only in Christ is there forgiveness. And that by itself is staggeringly amazing. But God doesn't just stop there. We are united to Christ. We are adopted into the very family of God. When God draws us to Himself, we go from slaves to our sin and enemies of God to beloved children of God and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And forgiveness of sins by itself is amazing. But to be adopted, it's almost unbelievable. Last thing, did you notice that the group who actually does these things, to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, is not doing them to earn anything? This is not salvation by good deeds. It is not salvation by community service. These people are actually shocked to find out that in their service, in their sacrifice, they have been serving Jesus Himself. These people are acting out of the overflow of what God has done for them. They have been made brothers of Christ through no work, no value of their own. They have been given absolutely everything, salvation, adoption. So they turn around and they give and they serve. They have been loved so they love others. As easily as I could use this passage to just beat us up and make us feel guilty, we serve because we have been served by God Himself. We are hospitable to others because God was hospitable to us, knowing that we would never be able to pay Him back. We visit because God visited us in Jesus. We sacrifice and give to others because Jesus sacrificed and gave Himself for us. Brothers and sisters, I can only call you that because God adopted us and made us brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ first. Yes, think about all the ways that we can serve and love and take care of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Be thoughtful, be intentional, talk with your spouse or your kids about it. All of that's great. But even more than that, look to Jesus who died that we might be brought into His family. And all of this stuff, 
begins to flow naturally out of what we have actually seen Him do for us. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, You have identified with us You created us and identified with us to such an extent that even though we have rebelled against You and fought against You, that You came down, took on flesh, and identified with us. So much so that You gave Yourself on the cross and died for us and adopted us, your enemies, into the family. Would that truth sink down into the very marrow of our bones? And then would love and service and care for the least of these Christ's brothers and sisters flow out of us. We praise You for Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.